0: This morning we'll be um, reading from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through to 33. It's on page 1159. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the Church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband.
1: Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Rob, for reading that. I, um, I can't... I, don't, I actually don't even know how that was possible.
0: that happen?
1: No. I don't even know how it happened. Let's hope it doesn't happen again. Um... <laughs> I, I come to this morning, I think, with a little bit of trepidation, knowing how a passage like this one has been used and potentially misused throughout history. Um, and yet, I want to teach it faithfully. And so, as we come to it, I pray um, that, that God would use it for His glory and encourage us. Um, and just as before, we get into it, um, I, I've kind of had to, d- to divide this up, and so. This will be a two-parter sermon where we will be speaking to wives this week and speaking to husbands next week. And so it's important that if you hear something today and you go, hang on, what's the, what's the other side of the coin? We will be getting to that. Um, so don't think um, husbands in particular, don't be looking at your wives going, hey, 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 you need to get onto that. Um, because there will be something for you next week. And so just keep that in mind as we go through this. Um, but let's pray and ask for God's help so that we might understand his word. Father, uh, we thank you so much for your word to us. Uh, we thank you, Lord God, um, and ask that, that you would help us to hear from you, to understand what you have for us, to be encouraged um, in our faith and, and in our relationships. Father, we pray that we would um, have spirit-filled marriages. And Lord God, that as a result, that we might grow more and more to love each other and Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The passage that we've just read has a kind of special place in in my heart. um, Because it formed the words of my wedding vows uh, to Shelley back in 2005. Uh, I don't remember much of my wedding dinner, the way that you kind of, most of the details maybe fall away and there are a few salient moments that you remember. Um, I remember it was 2005 and the 17th of December, don't worry Shelley, Uh, I remember our anniversary. Um, It was on a beach, Papamoa Beach on the North Island of New Zealand. It was an extremely windy day and nobody really heard anything that we said to each other except the minister. And ourselves, um, but part of the words that I said to Shelley were that I would love her as Christ loved the Church and laid His life down for her. You know, I don't remember much else of my vows. Sadly, I don't know if that's bad, um, but I do remember that that I'd lay my life down. and And this passage gives us a lot of information. It tells us how we should live in relationship with one another. It's a passage that will help us, I think, to have spirit-filled marriages. We talked last week about the spirit-filled life, and I was telling you how it's not necessarily about performing miracles, as some of us might have grown up in traditions that taught that, uh, that it's not about speaking in tongues and prophesying necessarily. The spirit-filled life is a holy life. It's a life that is set apart to God. And in the passage we read last week, we saw that it was how... Uh, encouraging one another, singing to one another, or speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's what being filled with the Spirit means. And in this passage, it is about submission. So remember, this week we'll be focusing on wives, and next week we're going to look at husbands. But I want to ask the question, why submission, And, and hopefully answer that. Let's have a look again at verse 21. It says, Submit to one another, out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, it is an interesting word, isn't it? Submit. It's an idea that we're not really accustomed to anymore. In fact, I think it automatically can set people a little bit on edge. But what is submission? Submission is about giving someone else power over our lives giving somebody else power over our lives. And and that's basically where the problem lies for people today. We can't see any reason that that is a good idea. And there are plenty of examples why it's not a good idea. Uh, We saw that during the pandemic, and without going into it, and without sort of going all down the rabbit trails, I think we can all agree that there were some rules that didn't make any sense. And particularly in retrospect, You can kind of go, well, see, it doesn't make sense to submit, to give someone power over us. On a more individual level, there are many, many examples of people who have abused their authority. And maybe some people in this room have experienced that. And because of these things, people might think, I'm not going to be subject to anyone. No one is the boss of me. And yet, I don't know that that's true. As the famous theologian Bob Dylan once said you've got to serve somebody. Okay, he's not a theologian but it's true that you have to serve somebody. We all submit ourselves to somebody else. Whether that's the government or our employers. If you're a kid, hopefully You are submitting yourself to your parents Who's a kid here who Submits, who obeys their parents Sometimes What about 20% of the time 40% of the time 60% of the time 100% of the time Who's just like every single time You know, Oh look at that, so many good kids in the congregation Now there are limits Are there not Young people Are there limits to what you would do if your parents told you to do it Hopefully, if they told you to commit a crime, you wouldn't do that? No. Still, all of us submit at some level. We give other people power over us. And friends, just because that power is sometimes and maybe even often abused, it doesn't mean that submission is wrong. Just because we've been hurt before doesn't mean that submission is wrong, or that even we can avoid it. Inherently submitting to someone else gives them power to hurt us. But without submission, there is chaos. Uh, This past week, I've been in Melbourne at an intensive at the Presbyterian Theological College. And I I caught the 8.50 flight out of Melbourne, which was of course Mm. delayed. And it was about 11.15 when I was driving out of the Hobart airport. And I got to the Tasman Bridge and all of the lights were red. And I'm just like, oh, this is fantastic, you know. Like, I hear there's doing roadworks on the bridge. What is going on? Why isn't anybody crossing it? Well, it wasn't roadworks. Does anyone know why the bridge might have been closed? River. A boat was going underneath it. It's something I don't think about. Um, But yes, when a boat... And I don't know if there's a size that they go, that's too big and they have to close the bridge for it. Ever since the Tasman Bridge disaster, which was the 5th of January, 1975... Um, they have closed the bridge for large ships to go underneath to avoid what happened back then. In two years time it will have been 50 years and ever since that time for large boats they've closed the bridge. And you might think to yourself, well, submitting to that rule, yeah, okay, but if you break that rule, like, what would happen if you drove over the bridge while a ship was going under it? Nothing. Like, what are the chances that the ship's going to hit the bridge again? Like, zero. Well, nearly zero. Not a big deal if everybody ignored that rule. But what if everybody ignored all of the road rules? What if you ignored all of the road rules? Well, I've actually seen that but personally in action. In India, that is pretty much how it goes. In fact, I think there's only one rule of the road in India, and that is to give way to the larger vehicle. Um, and the, the, the lines on the road are merely suggestions and you can go from having three cars across to maybe 15. Um, but depending if they're auto rickshaws, you can have them all lined up. And it doesn't seem to matter. And you know what? People do get hurt regularly. Uh, we saw a guy who was hanging out the side of a bus because it was overfilled with people. And as the bus went around a corner, he slammed into a vehicle that was parked. People do get hurt. Um, mostly the, vehicle, the, the traffic just goes really slowly. But do you see what I'm saying? That without the rules... There is chaos. Without submission, there is chaos. They exist for a reason. And most of us, I think, don't have a problem with submitting to someone else if it's in the right setting and in the right way. And yet, while we might agree with that, you go, yes, sure, I don't have a problem with submitting to the government in the right circumstances. I don't have a problem with submitting to an employer. That makes sense. They pay my wages. Submission between children and parents makes sense. The sticking point in our culture today is between husband and wife. But submission is about creating order and avoiding chaos. And there is a risk involved. No question about that. Because it involves giving power to somebody else. And still, I think the Bible teaches us that the risk is worth it. After all, this is an outworking of being filled with the Spirit... Some versions will say, instead of submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, it will say, submit to one another out of fear of Christ. The fear of Christ. And that reminds us why we, why we do this. Because we fear and respect Jesus. We do this because it's good for us. Godly submission produces order and harmony, and a lack of submission produces chaos. What I'm telling us this morning is that submission is good. As much as it sticks in the modern craw, the Bible's teaching is clear. Wives should submit to their husbands. Have a look at verse 22 to 24 again. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. St. Mary's College in Hobart, you might remember the story from last year where they had scheduled a reading from this passage in their graduation mass, but it created a public firestorm, and in a moment, I think, of cravenness, the Archbishop dropped the reading and changed it to another one. And the media and everybody in the public and on social media was calling it disrespectful, a disrespectful passage. But friends, it's not disrespectful. I think it's God's kindness to us. It's God's grace towards us. It's God's best for us. Is that wives should submit to their husbands like the church submits to Christ. Submission is what God wants for wives. But firstly, I want to say to us what submission is not. What submission is not. Now, for the longest time... Uh, anyone who got married would include the idea of submission in their wedding vows. Uh, The bride would say this, I name would take you, or thee whatever the name was, to be my wedded husband, and to have and to hold from this day forward, for better for worse for richer for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love cherish, and to obey, till death us do part." The wife would pledge to obey her husband, but the husband would not say that. The husband would say to love, cherish, and protect. Now, that's kind of fallen out of favour in the modern day. Most couples don't say that anymore. And in fact, the form for marriage that we use in this church doesn't include those words either. Um, But it's funny how words used for generations suddenly seem quaint at best, and downright morally repugnant at worst. And it's not hard to see why. Because evil men have used these very words for generations to justify the wicked treatment of women. How many women have been under the metaphorical and sometimes the literal boot of their husbands and have been told that they must submit to the most appalling treatment? Because after all, it doesn't say in verse 24 that a woman should submit to her husband in all things. And it is an appalling abuse of this passage. An abuse of the authority of a husband to suggest that these verses mean that a woman must make herself available at any and every single time a man desires intimacy. Or to remove her consent from the equation. It's an abuse to suggest... That because of this verse, that a woman has no say in the running of a household or should be kept ignorant of the finances. It is an abuse of this passage to use it to say that a woman must suffer physical abuse at the hands of her husband. Let me say right now that a godly woman is not called to suffer abuse. A godly woman is not called to suffer abuse. Abuse is a violation of the covenant vows of marriage. The husband cannot break his vows to his wife and then tell her that she is not released from hers. Another misuse of this passage is to suggest that women should submit to all men. That is not what this passage teaches. It says that a wife or a woman should submit to her own husband, not to any old man. Men, if you lay a finger on a woman, if you slay her with words, if you use emotional or financial or psychological abuse, then you are breaking your vows. And you have become something less than a husband and you have voided any responsibility she has to submit to you. Friends, in the same way that we don't need to submit to a government that tells us to commit evil acts, a woman does not need to submit to her husband if that submission is either to re- be on the receiving end of evil or to commit evil. I heard a story recently from within our denomination. I kind of blew my mind. Um, I hoped that this would never happen in a reformed church. Or any church, uh, but the story was that a former elder had convinced his wife or pressured his wife into swinging extramarital relationships, and over time she formed an attachment to another man and ended up leaving this former elder for the other man, and then the church was feeling sorry for him because his wife left him. When in reality, he was the one who brought that situation about in the first place. Submission is not giving someone the power to do you harm or the power to make you sin. That is not godly submission. Neither is it biblical submission to suggest that a woman cannot pursue a career. Or work outside the home. Or get a university education. And you might be sitting there going, "Who? No, I've never heard anybody say it was. There are lots of people who say that that's what it means. I, personally, I want female mathematicians. I want female doctors. I want female engineers. Submission is not being barefoot and pregnant. Although, I highly recommend being barefoot and pregnant. <laughs> In fact, I encourage... I'd encourage women who are not called by God to celibacy to to seek marriage and to have as many children as you can handle. Now, it's not talked about very often. Usually when you hear this talked about, it's like, oh, there are too many people on the planet. You know, we're going to run into trouble. Right now, we have enough food in the world to feed 10 billion people. It's not a problem of having enough food or enough resources. It's getting them to the people that are in need. And often that is because of corrupt governments and misuse and misallocation of resources. In fact, we have the opposite problem, is that we're facing demographic collapse where we're not having enough children. We're not having enough children, and so I strongly recommend that you have as many children as you can handle, even if that means, sadly, upgrading to a van. (laughs) Benny's shaking his head. I actually, having, having a vehicle with five seats, actually, like, that's a big mental barrier to cross, right? You have your three kids, the car's full. I don't want to, I don't want to get a bigger vehicle. Um, and then three is probably the, the number that is uh, hardest to manage, I think. From, a, from the non-child person without any children. Um, There's research on this. I, I, well, I didn't mean to go into this at all, but um, the research on this is that three children is kind of the most stressful. Um, and I think that's because you're trying to, you're still pretending that you've got two, but you've actually got three, and you're kind of running around and doing too much. And then when you have four, you kind of give up a little bit. <laughs> you just let it flow. <laughs> like you can't do with four what you used to do with two, so you just kind of let it go. Maybe that's it, I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe that's a that's a research paper for later on. <laughs> um, but again, uh, it, it's not biblical submission to suggest that a woman must do that. Must do that. I can, I can understand why so many people kind of pull back against this idea, why they kind of reject it. Uh, like in some ways we're paying for the sins of the past. It's understandable that in the face of the abuse of the language of this passage that many people run as far away as they possibly can from it. But I I don't think we can do that. I don't think we can do that because we don't have the permission of Scripture to do that. It tells wives to submit to their husbands. Let's read it again. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. We've talked about what submission is not. Now we should talk about what submission is. Submission, in essence, is letting your husband lead you. Giving him the appropriate amount of power to lead and protect you and your children. At its best... It creates harmony and well-being and brings order to the home. But of course, not everybody agrees with this position. In fact, what I have just said has been called outright sexism by some, in the world in particular. And even many people in the church disagree and would hold to a view that is called egalitarianism. Egalitarianism. It's the idea that men and women are not just created equal and are equal under God. That is something that if you're a Christian, you have to believe. You're required to believe that men and women were made in the image of God. But egalitarianism teaches that men and women should equally share all authority and responsibility in the home and in the church. Now, you can definitely hold that view and be a Christian. That is an alternate view. Um, It's just as well you can hold that view and be a Christian because it's the most common view. Not that people will say that they are egalitarian, of course. What you hear is people say, we share everything evenly. We split everything 50-50, all responsibilities. And on the face of it, that sounds pretty fair, right? 50-50 split. Makes sense. Sounds fair. 50-50 household chores, work, child raising responsibilities, decision making an even split, what could be fairer than that, except it almost never works out like that. Uh, Women who work full time, on average, still do the overwhelming majority of household chores. And you might say, oh that's because their men are lazy and they need to pick up their game. And maybe that's true. But mostly it's because men simply don't care about household chores as much as women do, on average. Uh, On average, a man will not care about as much as a woman about the cleanliness of the home. And there is a biological part to that. Of course, uh, your mileage might vary. Some men are more into that, and some women less into that, whatever. But women, on average, if they work the same number of hours as a man, will still do the majority of the housework and the majority of the child raising. Now, perhaps we could just tell men, we could save this for next week and say, hey, man, you need to pick up your game and you need to work harder after your day at work. And I do have a message for the men that will come next week. But I think that there's actually a very good reason why in the past, men were the breadwinners and women raised the children and took care of the home. I think there's a very good reason for that. Now, many of you are in that situation And and instead of needing to be encouraged to do that, um, you can need to be reminded of how important that position is, because the world kind of tells you that you've chosen a lesser path. And that in fact you would be better and more meaningful and have a greater utility to the society if you instead um, maybe sent your kids off to to, um, play school or whatever, and then you went into a career. What tasks? Is bigger or more profound than raising children? What task is more profound? What has a bigger effect on the future than raising children? You know, the saying is that the the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And it's true. And the truth is is that many women will find raising children and taking care of a home much, much more satisfying than working for some other guy in a career. Again, people are different. I don't want to set unbiblical limits on you ladies. Um, there are always ways that you can do both. And yet, I just want to put this out there as a bit of a warning that women have been increasing in their workforce participation since the 70s. They've been pushing off childbearing to later and later. And what we have seen is that women have become increasingly unhappy. Uh, Average happiness of women has been trending downwards over time since the 70s. Men's happiness is staying about the same. And that's because we teach women to ignore the very natural and good desire to want to raise children. Uh, I was on a plane one time, uh, also going to Melbourne. It was a year ago or so. And I was talking to this person. I was sitting next to a young woman, 21. And she had been studying early childhood, but because of the pandemic, they weren't doing um, in-person classes. And so she said, I'm not going to do that, early childhood education. I'll become an au pair for a family in Melbourne, looking after two or three children. Here's a young woman studying early childhood education, and took time off from that to look after kids. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe, I mean, not, not necessarily, maybe she doesn't really want a 40-year career in early childhood education. Maybe she wants to be a mum, but she's been told by a society that she can't do that because she's too young. Now, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's not true. Maybe she really just wanted to have some children and take care of them, but the society puts a pressure on women and says, no, you can't do that, and you can't even want that. as if it's some kind of internalized misogyny. I think egalitarianism leads to unhappiness, and I think our society is proof of that. It makes us miserable, and the rate of divorce only goes up. Couples who try to make everything equal are less happy and split up more often than couples who maintain traditional gender roles. A recent study showed that women actually prefer men who have traditional views of gender, even though in the study it was called benevolent sexism. Uh, Not only do they choose mates more often who hold to traditional views, but they actually find them more attractive. So you single guys out there keep holding to those traditional views. (laughs) But ladies, you've probably been in a situation uh, where... You've had to walk somewhere alone at night, and I think a lot of men don't realise how threatening a situation that can be and how scary that can be. Uh, most of us as men don't know what it's like to be afraid um, of being alone. You'll hear that, that women often sort of carry their keys in their hands as a, just a little bit of extra weight. Um, If you're walking in the night in the city and you know where your car is, you'll make sure that you keep to well-lit areas and you move very quickly indeed. And most of us men don't know what that's like, to see other men as a potential threat. How much nicer maybe it is if you are not alone walking to the car at 11 o'clock at night. But imagine that you are walking to your car with your boyfriend and hang on a second, what are you doing with your boyfriend at 11 o'clock at night alone? (laughs) Settle. Okay, but you're walking with your boyfriend or you're walking with your fiancé or you're walking with your husband and a bloke comes around the corner and then he starts sort of getting a bit, you know, a bit out of control. He's like, hey, beautiful, give us a kiss. Now, I kind of, it sounds funny the way I say it, but if you're alone or if you're just with someone, it's the night time and someone comes up to you and says that, that's pretty darn threatening. And you look at your male companion and you... And you kind of look, you give him the, like, deal with this. And then he says, what? I handled it last time. I believe in you. Girl power. That's not what you want. That's not what you want. You want him to take care of it. Is that sexism? No, it's just reality. And friends, we're living in this twilight zone as a culture where we seem determined to deny our reality, our biological reality, as often as possible. It is not wrong to want a man to lead. It is not wrong to want a man to protect and guide. Confidence and the ability to lead are attractive qualities in a man. And I think women are looking for a man that they would feel comfortable submitting to. I don't think it's good if the woman is always the one to suggest going to church, to always be the one to suggest reading the Bible, to always be the one making decisions about where and how to school children, making decisions about how many children to have and when to have them. Godly submission is about letting your husband lead. Now there will be times when a woman will have to lead, because nobody else will. She'll need to lead. But I don't think it's the ideal because I think men are called to lead and we should. That's what this passage says after all. But it doesn't mean that a woman just waits for, her, for instructions from her husband. The, the biblical picture of womanhood is of industry and creativity. The Proverbs 31 woman is clever. She's resourceful. She works hard for the sake of her family. But it does in the scriptures call for submission. So how does this work out? Well, practically, I think it means letting your husband make decisions. Hold up, hold up. (laughs) What are you saying? This is not to say that decisions, and particularly big financial decisions, should be made without women. Absolutely not. I think making big financial decisions, or a lot of big decisions... Without consultation is a very worrying sign, but, but something that doesn't get talked about much is how exhausting it is when a woman feels like she needs to be the one to make all the decisions in the household. Now, I might be wrong, but I, I think a lot of women would, would wish that their husbands would take more charge, make more decisions. Now, this will sound weird, but I've cancelled things. i told Shelley not to do some things, and, and you will like, don't call the police, it's okay. Uh, it wasn't said in harshness, but I've kind of seen that Shelly really wanted to do something, but she just didn't have the energy for it. And I've said, you can't do this, you can't, and you're not doing it. And out of kindness, because I wanted to preserve her health. And Shelly was grateful that I made the decision. Submission is letting your husband make decisions. And sometimes I think that'll even mean going along with a bad man. From time to time. Not just because of the call to submission, but because sometimes men are a little bit dense. I don't know about you other guys. But you have to learn from your own mistakes. And a way to encourage your husband to lead is to support his decisions. Now, does that make sense? I'm not saying that that submission means you can't disagree or point out the problems or think that your husband is being a bit of a poopy head. (laughs) Alright? It's just that there is a way that a woman can undermine a man's confidence to lead and then lament the fact that he's not leading anymore. Submission is making yourself available for intimacy. Now most marriages have a disconnect between desire for intimacy between men and women. That's just the reality of it. A woman often, usually, desires it less frequently than men. Now, don't worry, ladies, I have a message for the men on this. But intimacy should never be used as a weapon. It should never be used as a tool for getting what you want. Do this or nothing for you tonight. No. It's a sign that something's gone a little bit, a little bit wrong. I think it should be regular with an eye of, to seeing the other person's needs as more important than our own. Again, I will say something to the men about this as well, but honestly, few things are more affirming to a man than willing intimacy. Moving on. Submission means not dishonouring your husband publicly. Pointing out your husband's faults in front of people, suggesting he doesn't earn enough, putting him down to others is not submission. Submission means trying to work through the issues together, and privately, and getting help where you need it. Not airing them publicly in order to shame your husband into action. Submission means not nagging. Better to live on the corner of a roof than in a house with a quarrelsome wife, the proverb says. Nagging might often feel like the only way to get things done, but it undermines a relationship. It's an indicator that communication isn't clear, responsibilities haven't been worked out. Can I suggest arranging a time to discuss things that need attention and then asking your husband what a reasonable time frame for it to be done is and also what the alternative is if it doesn't get done. That might be a better and more proactive way than nagging. Now submission is a massive topic and I kind of came in this morning um, despite the smile on my face with a lot of fear and trepidation if you've got questions about something that I've said this morning, come and speak to me. If you disagree with something that i said, come and tell me about it. If we need to have a chat during the week, we can do that too. What we can't do, I think, is ignore what the Bible says. But we can ask for the grace to know how to apply it. Men, I will be addressing us directly next week. And so I hope that this conversation, this discussion, won't be used in an unhelpful way in your families until we've discussed the other side of the coin, the responsibilities of the husband. Because I hope you noticed as we went through that passage that most of it is addressed to men. Most of it is addressed to men. In fact, it was very common to have... This is called a household code, and that was very common in the ancient world. And usually... It was just addressed to women with their responsibilities to their husbands and it didn't address men at all. But Paul does that in a very countercultural way and I think we'll have something to think about as well next week. But for now, how about I pray and ask for God's help. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. As we think about what this looks like in our relationships, I pray for your help, that we might understand what you have for us. And, And Lord, we want to be more like Jesus. And the church, that's the picture you've given to us of, of Christ as the head of the church and the church submitting to Christ. And Father, I pray that you help us to figure it out. And sometimes we bumble our way through or we make mistakes, but Father, I pray that you would help us so that we might love each other and men would love their wives as Christ loved the church. And and wives would love their husbands as the church loves and submits itself to Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen.